Amen. We're going to turn to the book of Psalms, and as we are turning there, just a couple of things. First of all, um, I, I wanted to give a praise tonight, and I know um, that uh, most of you are already aware of it, but we actually um, we set a goal for $60,000, of course, for the Glencoe Project for our um, conditional use permit, because uh, all the figures said that that's uh, about what it was going to cost. And um, as of last, uh, well, um, Wednesday, we were about, we were at 40, about 45,000, so very, very close. Uh, New Year's Eve, I had just left the office, I, I got home, I was planning on coming back, but I got a call from someone who asked if I was at the office. I said I wasn't, but I was going to go back, and he asked if he could meet me, and so when he, uh, when uh, I got here, and then um, uh, he came in, and he handed me a check for $30,000 for the Glencoe Project, and so not only did we get the 15 that we wanted, that I was praying we'd get, honestly, before 2021. That was my goal. I, I was praying, Lord, help us to reach that goal by uh, before 2021. Boy, the Lord waits till the last minute sometimes, but he always does above and beyond. And so we actually ha- um, ha- are able to start for our next goal. We have um, $15,000 to start for our next goal now uh, because uh, we got twice as much as we actually needed. So praise the Lord for that. And that's just uh, just another answer to prayer, one of the many answers to prayer. So um, uh, Scott got to finish his coloring project back there, and it looks really good. Now it's time for another one, <laughs> and uh, we'll let you know. But uh, we're in the process, I say we, not me, but we as a church are in the process of filling out that uh, application for the conditional use permit. It will get turned in. Uh, this month, and um, then we will go from there. There will be a public hearing, and of course, we pray that all goes well. We know it will. The Lord is uh, the Lord certainly is in this, and there's been a lot of evidence to show us that. So praise the Lord. That was a great blessing. That was just uh, an exciting, exciting thing. All right, we're in Psalm 38, book of uh, uh, Psalms, and the 38th Psalm. And I'm going to preach a message tonight. You know, every once in a while, you'll be at a fellowship meeting. You'll be at uh, some kind of a meeting. And to be honest with you, it's been a while ago, so I don't even remember where. And I'm not even sure who. Usually, I take better notes than this. But it was one of those uh, messages that I thought, man, that is an, that's an excellent message. And, and after the service, which I think was a fellowship meeting, I asked the preacher, I said, would you mind... If I just took that outline and just kind of revamped it, um, that is such a good outline. It needs to be preached. And and uh, I just uh, waited till the Lord uh, brought it uh, back up again. I just wanted to tell you that because if whoever preached it happens to see this YouTube video, I want to give them credit. I just can't remember who it was. I know that it was another preacher that came up with uh, this outline or at least one similar to it. And um, like I said, I didn't take uh, good enough notes, but um, it wasn't original with me. I just want you to know that. Nothing really is original, is it? All right, we're in the Psalms 38, and we're going to look at verse number 4. So let's go ahead and stand in reverence to God's Word. The 38th Psalm, and just verse number 4, 
although obviously we'll be covering more than that. But Psalm 38, verse number 4. The psalmist writes, Mine iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they're too heavy for me. I want to talk tonight about defeating your guilt. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for all that you've done for us. Lord God, we just uh, we, uh, look back at the last year, and yes, it was trying, but Father, there's just so many blessings as we learned from our testimony service the other night, things that we even forgot about that you just provided for us, Lord. And for that, we thank you. And Lord, obviously, we are thankful for providing for us a property that we never thought we had obtained. And Lord, just for continuing to supply for that. Lord, I pray that you would just be with us as we continue to go forward. Father, we ask that you would just continue to perform miracles and allow us to be on it even sooner, Lord, than, um, than, our, than our goal. And Father, we know that you can, and we thank you for all your blessings. Now be with the service tonight, we pray, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Now, guilt is not necessarily a bad thing. And when I say defeating, uh, uh, how to defeat your guilt, I'm not talking about uh, um, becoming so calloused that you have no guilt. As a matter of fact, we find in God's word, Israel was rebuked by the prophets because of her inability to feel guilty over wrongdoing. We ought to feel guilty when we do wrong. Uh, We ought to feel bad when we are outside of God's will. We ought to allow ourselves to be so tender when it comes to the uh, word of God that when it is pointed out from the word of God that we are headed in the wrong direction, we ought to feel bad about that. We ought to feel guilty about that. And we ought to want to get that rectified. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse number 15, we read, where God asks, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At that time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. And so the Lord says, when you do wrong, you ought to feel guilty. And when you do wrong, you you ought not to want to broadcast it and let everybody know about it. God also warns that an inability to feel guilty would be a characteristic of the false teachers. When Paul wrote to Timothy on this subject concerning false teachers, he said that uh, the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, there are many false teachers who know they are teaching lies, but because they have no conscience and they have they uh, have that inability to feel guilty, they speak these lies in hypocrisy. In other words, like the Pharisees, they will tell people, you need to be doing this, and if you're not doing it, then, uh, then that is a sin, and they will lay heavy burdens on people while they themselves are not doing those things that they are teaching others. So they speak lies in hypocrisy, and how can they do that? Well, because their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. 
they become calloused, an inability to feel guilty over telling lies. Guilt's a warning sign, and it's a good thing to have. Guilt helps you realize you've done wrong. It's often a result of hearing the word of God preached after you've done wrong. Guilt, however, is not the goal. God's goal is not for us to feel guilty. The goal, or God's goal for us, is to get it right. God's goal is repentance. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In the life of a Christian, God's goal when a Christian does wrong is not that a Christian feel guilty, but that a Christian repent because of the guilt that he feels. And so guilt is not the goal. And that's important because Satan will use guilt to his advantage, making us feel useless, making us feel like a castaway, making us feel like we could never be right with God, even if we want to be right with God, because we are such, a, such terrible people. And that's what Satan would like for us to feel. Guilt is maybe Satan's goal, but forgiveness is God's goal. Uh, guilt is not necessarily where God wants us to stay. Psalm 32, just back up a few chapters uh, to the 32nd Psalm. The 32nd Psalm, Psalm 32, verse number 1. This is God's goal, Psalm 32, verse number 1. Blessed, by the way, the word blessed means happy. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That's God's goal. Satan's goal is he wants you to feel unworthy of God's forgiveness. Many people are hindered in their Christian lives because of guilt. They, they continue to carry around with them. I've talked to, to people young and old. It just doesn't matter. The guilt comes in different forms and different sizes. But, but uh, I've talked to some people who have raised their kids, but some who were not saved when they raised their kids and so did not raise their kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so um, uh, I've had to talk with individuals like that who feel absolutely guilty that they didn't raise their kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, and they carry that guilt with them to the point that they can, they can hardly function. My, you've got to remind them that, hey, uh, your sins are forgiven and, and you need to move on and you need to serve the Lord. Living in this guilt is not helping you to move forward. And in essence, that's not helping your grown-up kids either. You can only do what you can do today. You can't redo yesterday. And so uh, Satan would have us live and wallow in that guilt because it'll cause us just to roll up in a ball and then not do anything for the Lord. So the question begs to be answered, how do we get over the guilt? Well, divine the answer. We need to refer to a man who committed numerous transgressions and yet the end of his life was lifted up as one who did that which was right in the eyes of God. His victory over guilt is found in 
psalm uh, in the 51st psalm. And let's go ahead and just uh, turn over there really quick. The 51st psalm. Psalm 51. Where the psalmist writes, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And so he gives us here the formula. And by the way, Psalm 51 is the psalm he wrote in reverence to the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. But he gives us a good formula here. How to defeat your guilt or how to get over your guilt, which all of us will have Satan try to bring things up that we've done in the past, bring things up that we've already asked God forgiveness for, things that we've already forsaken, and yet Satan loves to bring those things up. how How do I defeat that? How do I get over that? Psalm 51, let's, uh, let's look at this and let's look at the formula. And there are several things that we can do. Number one, the number one thing David does here is he accepts God's love. So number one, accept God's love. Accept God's love. Satan will try to tell you you're unlovable. We're all unlovable. The Bible says all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And, and we understand that. But even though we were unlovable... The word of God reminds us that, uh, uh, that uh, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, another word for sinner, we could, uh, we could substitute unlovable. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet unlovable, what did he do? He died for us. He, uh, he, he showed his love for us. He commendeth his love toward us in that he died for us as sinners. Accept that. Don't question it. Well, how could God ever do that? I don't know. How could God send his son to be the propitiation for my sins? I'm going to tell you straight out, I don't know, because I don't understand the love of God. But God doesn't say understand it. He says believe it. He says trust it. And so we need to accept God's love. David, in spite of all he had done, realized God loved him. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. In spite of all he done. Jeremiah chapter 31 And in verse number three, the prophet writes that the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. This to a nation that had turned its back on God. And yet God reminds that nation that had turned its back on him, I love you with an everlasting love. Accept God's love. Do you realize that nothing can separate you from the love of God? Jeremiah also wrote in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse number 1. They say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? God says, but thou, 
Israel has played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Why does the Lord say that to, to a nation that is cheated on him over and over and over again? And God compares it to a wife who's cheated on a husband with many lovers. God says, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Why? Because he loves. God is love. In Lamentations, Jeremiah writes in Lamentations chapter 3 and in verse number 22, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Well, I think we can take it from the word of God that God loves us. One of the most theologically correct songs ever sung is a song that we sing in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Not because I understand it, because I don't. Not because I have, uh, uh, I've deserved it, because I don't. And not because I haven't tested the love of God. I have tested his love. But you know what? His love overcomes all. I need to accept the fact and believe that God's love applies to me. And so when Satan comes and he tries to bring things up to make me feel guilty, things that have already been placed under the blood or already been forgiven, I have to remind myself that God loves me. So accept God's love, number one. Number two, there's a second thing that you can do. A second thing. Number two, assume personal responsibility. Now, I'm not saying you just go out and do whatever you want and, well, God loves me and so it's fine. No, when we do wrong, we need to get it taken care of. When we sin in our Christian lives, we need to get it taken care of. And we need to assume personal responsibility look at verse number two david says wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity cleanse me from my sin so there he uses four personal pronouns in which he claims his sin i did this i'm dirty i am in sin wash me he says my iniquity My sin, he says. And as we read on, verse number three, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Verse number 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. And so um, nine times David uses a personal pronoun and never once shifts the blame. Never once says, well, you know, Lord, that uh, uh, if, if I didn't have these urges, Lord, if I wasn't born this way, or Lord, or Lord, if I didn't live in this society, you know, we live in a society that likes to blame everybody else. I brought up a statistic the other day, not a very popular one, but a factual one nonetheless, uh, those who 
choose to be transgenders. Almost 50% of them at least attempt suicide. Um, but rather than say, maybe it's because it's a lifestyle that God doesn't agree with, they blame everyone else. Well, it's because we live in a society that doesn't accept us. It's because of you Christians. It's because of you churches. Uh, that is why. We need to accept personal responsibility. One thing, one of the things that God is, he's a personal responsibility God. We have to take account. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, and in verse number 1, uh, Isaiah teaching to, a, well, to a, a crowd that was much like ours. And I don't mean this one, I mean society. And that they are blaming, blaming everyone but themselves. And Isaiah writes that the Lord's hand is not short and that he cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You know, we're always trying to blame everyone else. Um, there's always an excuse. There's always a reason. Well, I would never have lost my temper if. I never would have said this uh, except. Uh, what we're doing is we're passing the blame. I said it. I need to take responsibility for it. I did it. I need to take responsibility for it. They were my actions regardless of how I was provoked. I did it. You know, when, you, uh, when you're dealing with a, a married couples, sometimes this is the hardest thing to get across to them, to us, I guess I should say. Because we will make the statement like, well, she just knows how to push all my buttons. Well, okay, but you still reacted. Those are, that's your, uh, those are your actions. Um, we ought not play the blame game. In 1 Kings chapter 18, remember in 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, Elijah was meeting with Ahab, and there had been a long dearth in the land, a long time that it had not rained. Things were not going well. Of course, it all started when Ahab married Jezebel, and then they decided to expel God from society. And then they decided we're going to kill all the prophets. And then they decided we're going to make worshiping God illegal. And so God said, fine, you're going to reap the consequences of not having God in your society, much like we are today. And yet we're constantly placed, play, uh, playing the blame game. Well, when things just went from bad to worse, Elijah finally said, uh, from God's commandment, I will meet with Ahab. And so he goes and he meets with Ahab. And this is what happens. First Kings chapter 18, verse number 17. It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? So now here's Elijah, the preacher, the prophet of God's word. He meets with Ahab, 
And Ahab says, oh, hey, it's the guy who's caused all the problems in Israel. Talk about shifting the blame. We're always looking for someone to blame, no matter the situation. Well, Elijah went on and he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. In other words, you're causing the problems. You know, David never once said, I know I did it, but. God's not interested in the buts. He's interested in us taking full responsibility. But David could have used a lot of buts. You know, he could have even shifted some of the blame to Bathsheba. A lot of people, when they read what happened, like to make Bathsheba off as this innocent bystander. She wasn't. Wait, study it. Read it. Look at it. And and then study the culture. She had no business doing what she was doing out there. She knew what she was doing, and David did not force her. Oh, David was a king, and and she couldn't help herself. Uh, She had to. No, she didn't, but she did. And we we can actually see what kind of a person she was later on and how she was trying to manipulate her kids and, and things of that nature when it came to the throne. She was not an innocent bystander, but it didn't matter. David knew this sin is mine. Now Bathsheba's sin is Bathsheba's sin, but this sin was mine. She was certainly complicit as she was a big girl and knew exactly what she was doing, but not once does David even mention her. He said, I have sinned. Wash me of my sin. I tell couples this all the time. If you'd quit worrying about your spouse's inadequacies and start working on yours and yours only, your marriage would improve. But we can't do that. We always have to look at his selfishness or her nagging or his irresponsibility or uh, uh, um, her uh, misunderstandings. Now, if, if everyone would work on their own inadequacies, but this is what we hear all the time. Well, I know that I know I'm not perfect, but... I know that I, ha- I, that, I can't, that I need to bear my own blame, but, Pastor, you need to straighten her out. No, actually, you need to straighten you out. And then, maybe he will straighten himself out, or she will straighten herself out. The only person I can be responsible for is me. And David in his psalm never one time mentions, Lord, you know she should never have been doing what she was doing. You know she seduced me. You know that, uh, that, that I can't take all the blame here. Uh, and honestly, it was a 50-50 act. But David said, I take all the blame. 
I take personal responsibility. It was me. It was my. It was I. Lord God, forgive me. And so take personal responsibility. So number one, accept God's love. Number two, assume personal responsibility. Hey, you want your marriage to get better? Assume personal responsibility. Number three, number three, admit sin is against God. Sin is against God. And admit that. All sin, even if it's sin that doesn't, quote, hurt anyone else. By the way, there are no victimless sins. We hear this all the time. Well, you know, it's, it's my business. I can do whatever I want to. I'm not hurting anyone. Well, actually, you are. But that's beside the point. Even if you're not, even if there was such thing as a victimless sin, God's still the victim. And so even if it's not hurting, quote, hurting anyone else, it hurts God. Because if God says, thou shalt not, and we do, then God is hurt. But you know, every sin we commit is against God. Look at verse number four of Psalm 51. By the way, David's sin was not a victimless sin. But he says this in verse number four, against thee, thee only have I sinned. We're in Psalm 51, verse number four. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. So admit, sin's against God. Though there are human victims, all sin is against God. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel, if you will, 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. In verse number 5, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse number 5. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse number 5. The Bible says that they said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now, make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel. When they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So the children of Israel, in asking for a king, Samuel was hurt. Because in essence, Samuel felt that they were sinning against him. He was offended, and Samuel uh, or God said to Samuel, "Hey, Samuel, they've not rejected you; they've rejected me." And so, sin is against God. And so, as we continue reading First Samuel chapter eight, there, uh, ver- uh, verse number eight, First Samuel eight eight, according to all the works which they have done. Since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they also, uh, so they also unto thee. And so, sin 
is always against God. Even when there are human victims, sin's always against God. And we need to understand uh, God's the one who's been hurt. We need to accept God's love. We need to assume personal responsibility. We need to admit that sin is against God. You know, when people, uh, and you'll hear, you'll hear preaching like this from this pulpit all the time. Not always from me. We need to be in the house of God. And it's not for pastor house. Well, pastor just wants a, a crowd to preach to. I, I will admit, it's much, it is much nicer to preach to full chairs than to empty chairs. I've done both. But our sin's not against pastor house. Our sin is against God. And we need to remember that. Admit sin is against God. Number four, number four, ask God for cleansing. So accept God's love, assume personal responsibility, admit sin is against God, and ask God for cleansing. Getting back to our Psalm 51, our formula here, Psalm 51 The psalmist writes, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, we read, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9, ask for cleansing. Accept God's love, assume personal responsibility, admit sin is against God, ask God for cleansing. These are all ways we can overcome our guilt. You know, before we ask God for cleansing, boy, we ought to maintain that guilt. But ask God for cleansing. And then Psalm 51, verse number 8. David writes this, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Now he appeals to God for renewal. And that's what we need to do. Appeal to God for renewal. What David says here is very important. He says, I want to hear joy and gladness again. I want to be able to laugh again. In other words, what he's saying is, is Lord, look at verse number 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God, help me forgive myself. Help me to forgive myself. Because we need to understand if God's forgiven me, then I have to forgive me. It does not benefit us to walk around punishing ourselves because there again, God can't use you. Help me forgive myself. If God can forgive me, I should be able to forgive me. When the sin is brought back to memory, after you have done this, appeal to God for renewal. 
um, ask God for cleansing. When it gets brought back up again in your mind, understand that's not the Holy Spirit trying to humble you. It's the devil trying to beat you down. Because the Bible tells us as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And God doesn't bring those transgressions back. Jeremiah 31 verse 34, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That means I'm not going to bring it back up again. And here's another mistake we make in our personal relationships, in our marriages. After it's said and done, and after we've forgiven one another, and after the fight is over, and after we say, can we just move on? And yes, let's move on, because I hate fighting. The next fight, that gets brought back up again. Well, you remember when you said... Oh, wait a minute, we're supposed to be moving on. It does no good at all. Understand, that's a devil's ploy to bring up past transgressions when we supposedly have forgiven them already. The Bible says uh, that God will remember it no more. In other words, he chooses to leave it in the past and chooses to forget about it. So if it gets brought back up again in your mind and in your conscience, understand it's not the Holy Spirit trying to keep you humble. It's the devil trying to beat you. And we need to be reminded, God's forgiven me. So I have to forgive myself. And so appeal to God for renewal. And we can see David is doing that. He's not there yet. But he's saying, Lord, please restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He says, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Oh, I so want to hear joy and gladness once again. And that's what God wants for you. Joy and and gladness once again. The last one is the kicker. Accept God's love. Assume personal responsibility. Admit sin against is against God. Um, ask God for cleansing. Appeal to God for renewal. And last of all, avoid the same mistake. You see, true repentance isn't going back over and over. That's living in sin. Avoid the same mistake. Whatever it was that brought you to where you were, stay away from that. Flee, youthful lust. Avoid the same mistake. Look at verse number 13. David says, after verse number 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Verse 13, he says, then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. David says, I'll, I, I will have a, a ministry in which I'll be able to minister to others, not because I'm still doing it, but because God, you got me out of it. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: 
says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh, it's not just confessing, Lord God, forgive me of my sin. It's confessing and then forsaking. That's repentance. It's not just saying, Lord, I'm sorry. It is going in the opposite direction. It's a complete turnaround. That's what repentance is. If he confesses and forsaketh them, then he shall have mercy. But he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Oh, understand this. If the sin is still in the life, there ought to be guilt. There's no way biblically to defeat that guilt. But if it's something that's long in the past, that's been taken care of, and you wonder why does Satan keep, or or why does this keep getting brought up in my mind? Is there something that I'm missing? Well, understand this. Satan brings it up because he wants to beat you down. Satan wants to defeat the Christian. Remember, he's the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't only accuse us to God, he accuses us to ourselves. Why, why do you think that God ought to love you? Well, God ought not love me, but he does. Why do you think God would accept you? Well, honestly, God shouldn't accept me, but he does. Why do you think God ought to, ought to forgive you? Well, he's love, and his mercy endures forever. Obviously, if you've not accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you'll stand accountable for all your sins. Christ died on the cross so our sins could be forgiven. So the question is, have you been saved? Secondarily, have you taken each one of these steps? Accept God's love. Assume personal responsibility. Admit that sin is against God. Ask God for cleansing, appeal to God for renewal, and then avoid that mistake and doing it over again. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and every eye closed. It's good to know that our God does not change. We tend to think that God is like us, that he's a circumstantial God. But when God said he saved you, he saved you. When God said he's forgiven us, he's forgiven us.